You are tuned to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, May 11th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. After two days of hearings on the reopening of the Idaho Maryland mine, the Nevada County Planning Commission votes unanimously to deny the project's application. Next stop, the Board of Supervisors. KVMR's Julia Jem recounts the story of two visionaries who made Nevada City what it is today. The California Report looks into the consequences as the COVID-19 public health emergency expires. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Title 42, the border policy that was put in place during the pandemic to turn asylum seekers away, ends tonight. Officials are expecting a surge of migrants at the border, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection is already keeping 400 migrants in a makeshift camp in San Isidro, between the primary and secondary border walls. KPBS's Gustavo Solis says the migrants are receiving little help from the government. This makeshift camp began growing days before the federal government lifts Title 42. There have been people that will come here and they will see and they can't believe that this is happening on U.S. soil. They can't believe that people are being treated as terribly as they are. Pedro Rios is a volunteer with American Friends Service Committee. He's been coming to the border every day to give food and supplies to the people being kept between the border walls. There are even pregnant women and young children here. Members of Congress, including Juan Vargas, sent a letter to Customs and Border Protection saying they are, quote, appalled by the mistreatment of migrants. This type of detention appears to violate CBP's own short-term detention standards. Those rules say that detainees are to be held in rooms that are safe, secure, and clean. Alonso Alegre is one of the people being held outside. He used to own a business in Colombia, but fled to the U.S. with his wife and kids after criminals and local police officers tried to kidnap him. He told me that his seven-year-old son asked him, why did we come to the U.S. just to end up like bums? We were well off in Colombia. Alegre said he didn't have an answer for his kid. He just started crying. That was KPBS reporter Gustavo Solis. Customs and Border Protection did not respond to questions about the camp. Today marks the end of the COVID-19 federal public health emergency. But for people who are affected by long COVID, it's not the end of the pandemic. Many have lost their jobs, have no means of income, and are relying on disability checks to survive. But getting approved for long-term disability is becoming a major roadblock. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains. Chris Pham lived in San Francisco when the city shut down in March of 2020. It was around that time when he believes he contracted COVID-19. He thought he might be sick for a week or two, but his conditions lingered, and he knew something was wrong when he went out for a run. After mile one, uh, I can remember really thinking, wow, something is totally wrong with my body. And I broke into a cold sweat, and I couldn't, I just couldn't run anymore. Like many others with long COVID, Pham is young and healthy. He'd run as much as five miles a day, competing in triathlons, and working out almost daily. As head of sales for a startup, Pham says he tried to go back to work immediately. 
yeah, I found it almost impossible. I was passing out in the middle of the day after one or, or two meetings, and it would cause and trigger my long COVID symptoms. He was left fighting for disability benefits. The state's Employment Development Department has had challenges with fraud, settling unemployment claims, and sometimes even answering the phones. But Pham says his problems were actually with insurers once he filed for long-term disability. The process was uh, extremely difficult to receive the funds. Even though it was approved, the disability company would often come back and say it needs review. And this happened every single month. Right? So they would only approve the benefit one month at a time. So I had, I had no certainty on how to plan. With so much financial precariousness, he was forced to move to Arizona in with his parents. He says without their support, he might have ended up out on the streets. Part of the problem for patients, there's no single definition of what long COVID is, and there's no singular test to determine if you have long COVID. Insurance companies have denied claims for this reason, saying research hasn't shown whether treatments will work and are a medical necessity. Dr. David Petrino is with Mount Sinai in New York. The CDC and the World Health Organization encourage a clinical diagnosis of long COVID. And yet the payers and the people who are denying benefits to people with long COVID always say the same thing. Oh, you don't have enough evidence. We don't have an objective test to prove that you're sick. Petrino has worked with thousands of long COVID patients and knows some of what they're going through. Please let us stop asking sick people to prove to us that they're sick. For Chris Pham, who's had long COVID for more than three years now, he spent months fighting for long-term disability benefits after they were terminated. And in January, he finally won his appeal. His attorney, Cassie Springer Ayani, says garnering long-term disability benefits can be a lifesaver for people with long COVID. These benefits typically do last through age 67 for people who are afflicted by, by long COVID or any other disabling condition. That's why they're so valuable, because this is potentially income for somebody who might not ever be able to return to the workforce. Springer Ayeni says about half of her new clients these days are people suffering from long COVID. That includes Bay Area resident Grant Saunders, who's still awaiting word from the insurance company on whether his appeal for long-term disability benefits will be approved. I used to have confidence that, okay, no matter what happens, I can... I can work. I can get a job. I can work hard and I can, you know, support myself and figure it out. And now that's not true. Saunders says the whole process has left him more vulnerable and anxious about his future. He says he can't imagine going through this alone and considers himself one of the lucky ones for having the support from family, friends and his employer. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, 
working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health. On the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, May 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, after two days of hearings and public comment on the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine, the Nevada County Planning Commission voted unanimously at about 4.30 this afternoon to deny the certification of the project's final environmental impact report and the application to reopen. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza was there to record the vote and the audience reaction. Clerk, will you please call the roll? So wait, wait, wait. We are declining to certify the EIR. The motion on the mm-hmm. on is to decline to certify the EIR and deny the rezone, deny the use permit, etc. The project. Yes. Okay. Bill second. A second. And we'll have the roll. Commissioner here. Yes. Commissioner Millman. Yes. Commissioner Duncan. Yes. Commissioner Mastro Donato? Yes. Chair Greeno? Yes. The recommendation and application will be forwarded to the Board of Supervisors, which will make the final decision. The board will hear the matter no sooner than August in order to consider the recommendation and the public and agency comments received during the application process. At 419 this afternoon, just as the Planning Commission hearing was about to come to a close, our region was rattled by a magnitude 5.4 earthquake. The U.S. Geological Survey determined that the epicenter of the quake was in the waters of Lake Almanor in northwestern Plumas County. The quake was felt in a wide area and was followed by several aftershocks. According to the Sacramento Bee, a dispatcher at the Plumas County Sheriff's Office in Quincy said there were no reports of injuries. Any damage caused by the quake is unknown at this time. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. Warm, dry conditions are in store, with daytime highs in the 80s this weekend. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, clear with a low around 50. Sunny Friday with a high near 81 and a low around 58. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 38. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high near 67 and a low around 42. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, clear with a low around 53. Friday will be sunny with a high near 89 and a low around 58. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. If you are in love with the ornate charm of downtown Nevada City, thanks are due in part to David Osborne and Charles Woods. As KVMR's Julia Jim learned, when these two visionary men acquired the miners' foundry and helped to restore Nevada City's past, they also determined its present and its future. 
David Osborne and Charles Woods, two of KVMR's founding fathers, came to Nevada City in the 1950s from Berkeley, California, where they earned master's degrees in art history. They had a distinct vision for Nevada City. They'd helped to transform it from a mining town to a cultural center and regional destination. Evidently, KVMR played a notable role in the scope of that plan. But KVMR couldn't have been brought to conception without their earlier work in 1972, when they converted the then-inoperative Miner's Foundry into a cultural center called the American Victorian Museum. So Charles and David had been coming up here um, periodically, you know, on and off um, from the 1950s. They were graphic designers, fell in love with the town. Um, it was There were large sections of it that were empty, boarded up, but they really fell in love with the ambiance of the town. And in the 60s, I think they started coming up a little bit more, probably purchased some property, and in the 70s moved here. They bought this property as well as a bunch of other properties on Spring Street. They had a tr- they were collectors of Victorian um, memorabilia, like a lot. And so they turned this into the American Victorian Museum, which basically was a place for them to showcase all of the things that they owned. This was also a nonprofit cultural center, and they had a lot of connections to San Francisco, so they brought a lot of um, cultural um, activities here from the Bay Area. The American Victorian Museum, or AVM, was and still is an available venue for everything, from concerts and town gatherings to present-day psychic fairs. Osborne and Woods hosted a weekly Sunday brunch there for decades and broadcasted over 600 of those brunches live on KVMR. That was Gretchen Bond, executive director of the Miners Foundry. I asked her about the long-lasting impacts of Osborne and Woods' artistic and cultural influence. Here's what she had to say. Oh, it has a, had a major influence on Nevada City. Um, the two-room inn was really a miner's shack. And I don't know if you know what those look like, but they're just like two-room cabins. And I've seen photos of it before they embellished it. So if you go to the top of Broad, it's that little place at the top of Broad on the left. And all of that stuff is stuff they had, that they literally like recreated this little building in town and made it look like that, inside and out. And um, buildings like uh, where J.J. Jackson's is, um, that was, um, I mean, they they totally refurbished that. Uh, There were a number of other buildings in town. And they were really responsible for saving a lot of the the, um, history of the town. But uh, they were very opposed to Highway 49 coming through. They were very active in, you know, um, making sure that historic preservation was kind of on the forefront of people's minds. And they were great visionaries. Like, they were amazing visionaries. They were friends with Terry Brown and Paul Perry, who lived in the Bay Area, and they brought them up here. And Paul would play the piano, and Terry was a waiter, and he was also a singing waiter. So... They brought those two guys together, and then they started Music in the Mountains. Um, The organ that we have here, they brought up here in um, the 70s, and I think the very first concert was played on the floor of the Osborne Woods Hall, and Paul Perry played it. There were a lot of people that this happened with. Some, A couple would move here, and then people would follow. I'm not really sure that Nevada City would be the town that it is if it wasn't for Charles and David. I mean, obviously, the Miners Foundry wouldn't be here because I don't know what they would have done with that building you know, at the time. I mean, I think when they took it over, it was sort of a glorified garage. Prior to that, the Amex had had owned it and were making things here. Um, It had a transformative history like prior to that. But I don't think they they really saw value in a building that I think was probably looked at as just being a big old warehouse. 
In June, KVMR will be celebrating its 45th birthday. This year, we'll be paying our respects to Osborne and Woods by hosting our own brunch at the Miner's Foundry, much like the ones that they hosted when it was still the American Victorian Museum. You can get tickets and find out more at kvmr.org. We hope you can join us at the Foundry on Sunday, June 11th from 10.30 to 2. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jem. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. I have a friend who's a research maniac. Maniac is the wrong word. Devotee, perhaps. Whenever I post something online and say I don't know more, or if it looks fishy to him, he dives in to find out the details. I'm grateful even when he busts me, because I do not want to dive in. I feel so happy to live on the world's surface and see what's going on in all directions. Right now, every tree in this town has bloomed and leafed out, except certain maples. Why are they so slow, I wonder, as I look up through their nearly bare branches at the few puny leaf starts. I might pull out my phone to take a picture, but I never look anything up. I know this happens every year. I remember it from last spring. I always hope my very old silver maple is not sick, and then in a week or two it's caught up with the October glory, the purple mountain ash, the apples and plums and pear. I love how different we all are. I graze for information and feel a little protective of the mystery. My friend wants background and context. He questions veracity, and I forget to. My default is to assume truth and good intentions, which means I can be gullible, where he will raise an eyebrow and at the very least look at Snopes. I'm sure others out there do various things. I don't mean the people who eschew logic and believe maples are being poisoned by corporations. Maybe those who would research all leaf budding timing, not just maples or who wouldn't notice the leaves in the first place, but can easily identify every model of Ferrari manufactured since 1942. I just found in the front of this notebook a phrase I wrote down, the sound of a wild snail eating. I think it was a book title, but who said it to me or when? I have no idea. Wild snails? Are there tame ones? What do snails eat? Bugs? Leaves? Fish? I'm not going to look that up, but I'll probably check to see if it's a book. How loud would a snail eating sound? Could we hear it? Do snails have teeth? Gums? This is what I like, the range of possibilities. How much I don't know and will never know. Somehow for me, it's comforting. I'm not averse to knowledge, though. If someone were to tell me snails do have teeth, I'd run with that for a while. Molars? Incisors? Baby teeth that fall out? When I sweep my front stoop, am I brushing snail teeth into the daylilies? And is that a good source of calcium? All I know about snails is you can kill them with beer if they're ruining your garden. I haven't tried setting out saucers of Guinness for them to drown in. I don't have any beer. I don't even like beer. And I'm enough of a softie to turn away from snail assassination, though I understand farmers who can't. I only see five or six snails a year, and they're welcome to feast with or without teeth on whatever they can find here. How about you? What's your style? How do you approach and absorb and discover the world?
Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, May 11th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Green Acres Nursery and Supply, reminding listeners to consider integrated pest management and natural treatments for garden pests and disease to avoid heavy chemicals later. Garden gurus are on hand at each location. IDigGreenAcres.com And Cayman Engineering of Nevada City, providing structural design services for remodels, additions, and new construction throughout Northern California. Cayman Engineering also offers engineering services for the solar industry worldwide. CaymanStructuralEngineering.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. If you missed any of our newscasts or interviews, you can listen at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.